0: Greenie with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Rolling along, presented by Progressive Insurance with Mike Breen, my guest in a half hour on the Goodyear hotline. And a reminder that while it would be my preference that you just hung out with me for these two hours every single day, I understand you have a life to lead. And so if you ever miss anything on the program, I can remind you that we are a podcast that is called Hashtag Greeny. They take each hour of the show, make it its own individual one-hour podcast. And you can find it anywhere that you tend to listen to your podcasts. Um, We have not spent the entire day talking about the Tiger Woods situation because there isn't any uh, further information from what we have had when we woke up this morning. And in the event that we do get any further information, we'll pass it along immediately. And I just don't feel like you want me to sit here and talk about that all day. So we've talked about any number of other things. I I will just say again, uh, Tiger Woods is my favorite player in my favorite sport. So to see something like this happen... Um, from a sports standpoint, is devastating. Now, the first reaction you have when you start getting this news, when the reports start circulating on social media yesterday, there's no way not to have had in your mind because it is just so fresh. Not to think back to what happened a little over a year ago. Today is actually the anniversary of the Kobe ceremony at the Staples Center, 224. And um, there's no way not to flash back to that. And so I think that everything that has come since we realized, since the first time I saw on on, on, a, on a verified Twitter account yesterday, someone credible typing the words "non-life-threatening," from that moment toward this one, everything seems much better. And no matter how devastating this injury, these injuries are going to turn out to be, and they are. These are devastating injuries that he has suffered for his humanity, well beyond his ability to come back and play a sport again. But none of it seems so bad, like all of it seems like a little bit of a relief based on the fact that you went through that moment where you thought to yourself, please do not let this be about to happen. So first and foremost, we are relieved that Tiger Woods is hel- is going to be able to live, continue living his life in a healthy way. And we hope that he's able to walk and play with his kids and live a normal life. And then selfishly, we hope he can come back and once again provide us with the sorts of thrills that almost no one else ever has. Tiger Woods winning the Masters a little over, well, now it's almost two years ago, April of 19, is the most memorable sporting event I can ever remember watching. I can't think of anything greater than that. And of course, all of us have our own individual things. If your team wins a championship, a Super Bowl or a World Series or whatever it is, you're always going to remember that more vividly and fondly because there's a more personal connection. But just generally speaking, I can't think of anything more incredible than Tiger Woods. And I can't think of a person whose life in the, in the public eye has been as dramatic as his in sports. You think about the highs he has reached. You think about him winning that first Masters in 97. I'll say it again. When he won the Masters the first time, George W. Bush was the governor of Texas. Tom Brady was a backup quarterback at Michigan a lifetime ago. And Tiger Woods reached the ultimate high won the Masters, and became a superstar. Then he dominated golf in a way that literally no one ever has. For a roughly 10-year period, Tiger Woods was without question the greatest player that ever lived and became a star, the magnitude of which that sport almost never produces. And then he didn't just fall. He plummeted. You don't need me to tell you what it was. He was on the front page of the New York Post, the tabloids in New York, every day for a month and a half based on all the stuff that happened in his life. You know what I'm talking about. The, the fall was extraordinary. And it happened at the same time that his body started falling apart. And so he couldn't even be playing really at the same time to counteract the narrative. But in America, we like people who come back. We like people who show contrition, who fall and rise again. Boy, did he do that. Tiger came back in a huge way. And he came back with a little easier smile on his face, a little more humanity in the way he went about things. And I think being a parent does that. Losing his father to whom he was so close does that. All of this sort of humanized this somewhat mechanical robotic figure that we all were in awe of and admired, but maybe didn't love in the same way that we grew to love him when he came back. And the celebration... When he won that thing two years ago was incredible so again selfishly we hope that we will have a chance to see it again if we do not we are grateful that we had the opportunity to ever see him at all and the most important thing is that he is healthy enough to live the rest of his life in a reasonable way as far as his return i had stefania bell our our injury expert on get up this morning and she She used a phrase you're going to hear a lot. This is going to be months, not weeks.
0: The first thing is to monitor for infection. You know they would have cleaned the wound, they put him on antibiotics, and they'll monitor his response. But there could be other soft tissue injuries elsewhere, and when you look at the big picture, it's really hard to make a projection at this point because uh, this alone with the lower leg, we're talking months, not weeks, and you don't know what else he
2: has to deal with as well.
1: I may have said that backwards and I was leading into it. Obviously, I meant to say months, not weeks. Not, it, now, I realize that could have actually made sense the other way. Definitively, this is not weeks. This is months. If we're going to see him play golf again, it's going to be a long, long time in the future. And I hate even saying it that way because it doesn't feel it isn't the most important thing. But let's face it, he's a golfer. Those of us who love golf, those of us who love the sport, we want to see him come back and play. And we selfishly hope he can. But when you hear things like infection in the leg, you start thinking of Alex Smith. That's the parallel to be drawn here. Alex Smith almost died from the injuries he suffered on a football field. He almost lost his leg. He's about 10 years younger than Tiger is. But he managed to come all the way back to where he was playing football this season. And obviously, what it requires on your body and on your leg and on your foot and everything else to play football is there's no comparison between that and golf. Golf is a more athletic sport for these guys than most people recognize. But it's not football. And people aren't diving at your legs and trying to hit you as hard as they can while you're playing it. So you take you sort of look at that and you say, well, if Alex Smith can go back from that, then maybe anyone could come back from anything. And I'll say one more time, Ben Hogan is another example people will call out here. Ben Hogan was 36 years old and he was one of the great golfers of all time in 1949 when he and his wife were in a car and they, he survived a head-on collision with a Greyhound bus. He was in the hospital for 59 days with a double fracture of the pelvis, a fractured collarbone, a left ankle fracture, a chipped rib, and near-fatal blood clots. He, would, he was told he might never walk again. Not only did he come back, but he won six more major championships along the way. So maybe it isn't over for Tiger Woods as a player. We will hold on to our hopes of that because we'd like to see him come back and play. In the meantime, back to the rest of a busy day in sports as we continue next. We've got some NFL stuff to get into here. And Mike Breen will join me as the hour continues. My name is Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do.
0: Greenie, the podcast.
1: I'm Greeney, presented by Progressive Insurance, small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at progressivecommercial.com. Char- we have a Mike Breen coming up in about 15 minutes, but right now... Mine is that sort of rare genius that will not be fully appreciated until long after its time. time. The genius
2: you said? Your genius. He's a genius, eh? We're not going to appreciate your brilliance until you're gone. Brilliant.
1: That's right, Charles Barkley. I told you a year ago that Aaron Rodgers was going to go on a scorched-earth tour of the National Football League. That when the Green Bay Packers disrespected him in the way they did and started the clock ticking on his eventual exit from Green Bay, on their terms, not his, that he was going to take out his frustration on everybody else. And I was right. Aaron Rodgers had one of the great seasons that any quarterback has ever had and was the MVP of the league. And so I am telling you now... We're going to see another scorched earth tour in the NFL this coming season by someone whose contribution to the sport has actually been even greater historically. And that someone is Bill Belichick. We've seen this before. Do you remember what happened the last time Bill Belichick was sort of soundly questioned and mocked throughout the world of sports? Remember Spygate? Remember when that became a thing? Remember when everyone was saying, boy, is Bill Belichick cheating to get where he is? Boy, are they doing stuff no one else is doing? Remember when all that became a thing? Do you know what came from that? What came from that was one of the greatest NFL seasons any team has ever had. What came from that was a, a season, Hembo, get me the final scores of some of those games. What came from that was a season and when which Bill Belichick's team started out 18-0. They wound up losing the Super Bowl legendarily to David Tyree and the Giants. But they went on a scorched earth tour of the sport, the likes of which you've barely ever seen. They had one of the greatest offenses you've ever seen. They had more than enough defense, and they humiliated teams. There was a stretch in the middle of that season. You have it up there?
2: Pulling it up as we speak.
1: Getting get the scores of some of those games. They humiliated people. I particularly remember a game against Washington. So Bill Belichick is not known to suffer this stuff lightly. Now all of a sudden people are questioning him again. Well, maybe it was really Tom all along. Maybe it was Brady, and it wasn't really Bill. Bill's team fell apart this past year. They didn't even make the playoffs, and Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. If you don't think Bill Belichick is hearing and internalizing every single word of that, then I'm here to tell you you are wrong. Take me back to that year, Hembo. Just give me a couple of the scores right in the middle of the season. You'll know them when you see them.
2: <laughs> they beat Washington 52-7. to 52-7. to In Week 8, they beat Buffalo. 56 to 10. 56 to 10. in week 11. they also beat Buffalo 38 to 7. That was a close three. game.
1: <laughs> By the standards of that season, that was a close game.
2: Their margins of victory: 46, 45, 31, 24, 24, 21, 21, 21.. 21. You get the point.. Yeah,
1: They annihilated people. They went on a scorched earth tour, and Bill Belichick is going to do it again. I will tell you right now, he has already had the best offseason of any team in the NFL. You know why? Because they had eight opt-outs last year, the most of any team in the sport. And those are good players. Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, Marcus Cannon. Critically important parts of a defense that was number one in the league the year before. They had the best defense in the sport two years ago. I and mean, then none of them played last year because of the coronavirus. They're all coming back. He's already gotten way better. And watch what he's going to do next. He is going to bring in at least one of these two people, and I think it'll be both. Watch Bill Belichick sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and draft Mac Jones and start the Patriots dynasty all over again. Let's start with Fitzpatrick. I know you like calling him Fitz-tragic because it's funny, but he hasn't been that in a long time. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a much better quarterback than anyone gives him credit for. We just went through the numbers. You had them the other day. Do you have them handy for you? Who's better than this and better than that? I Give do. me those. Real quick. Rattle them off.
2: Over the last three years, Ryan Fitzpatrick, more accurate than Tom Brady. More yards per pass attempt than Russell Wilson. A higher passer rating than Carson Wentz. A higher touchdown percentage than Dak Prescott. And a higher total QBR than Deshaun Watson. A higher total QBR Then Deshaun
1: Watson, QBR, in case you don't know, is the statistic that literally measures all the different ways a quarterback goes about helping his team win. And his has been better than Deshaun Watson's (laughs) the last couple of years. He's going to wind up going to New England for a song. He's cheap and he's good and he's smart and he's all the things that Belichick likes. And so he's going to wind up their quarterback and do not be surprised if Belichick then takes Mac Jones in the draft, the kid from Alabama, who's also smart graduated from college in two and a half years with a 4.0 GPA, has a master's degree now. That's going to be the future and the present of New England. Fitzpatrick is going to be both a winner and a bridge to the future. And Bill, who I don't think is retiring anytime soon, is going to try and put together another little dynasty. So if you think Bill Belichick is just going to sit by and let you question just how good he really is, you got another thing coming. I draw your attention back to that year when he beat people by 50 points on what felt like a week-in and week-out basis. Now, I think it's also worth asking yourself, when he moves on and he's going to, what does it mean for Cam Newton? Cam Newton, who is 31 years old and who has had a great career. And look, it's hard to feel sorry for a person who has made $122 million in his life, and he has. So that's great. But on some level... Cam Newton, who says he's not done. He was on the I Am Athlete podcast. He was asked if he's willing to be a backup this year, and he said, no way. My pride won't even
0: allow me to do that. Listen, bro,
1: there's not 32
0: guys better than me. Put it like that. So if you're asking you me. At, like, where you at? Talk bro, to,
1: talk. I, I'm not 32. So here's the thing. I know he believes that, and he should believe that, and he has been a terrific player, and I hope he's right. I'd love to see him recapture a little bit of the magic. But I told you before, the only answer to the question, is Cam Newton done, is it sure looks like it. Now, I'd love that not to be the case. I'd love him to have another full offseason and get healthy and come back and be great. He's great for the sport. He's been a great player. But there was no evidence last year that would suggest that he's anywhere near doing that. And on some level, that's a cautionary tale. You know who it's a cautionary tale for? Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson, all these other quarterbacks who run with the football, and all these teams who have their quarterbacks doing it. Cam Newton is 31, and he may be done. Tom Brady just stands in that pocket and slings it. He's making $25 million bucks a year at the age of 43. So the question for some of these young quarterbacks who like to run is, will you still be getting paid huge money at 35 years old? 35 isn't old for a quarterback now, but there's no obvious reason to think you will. During his career, Cam Newton has been hit passing or running almost 1,500 times, 250 more times than anyone else during the time he's been in the league. Let me give you some context. Drew Brees has been hit 483 times in the last 10 seasons. That's about a 1,000 fewer hits in a 10-season span than Cam Newton. That's why Drew Brees is still getting paid tens of millions of dollars at the age of 42. And Cam Newton may very well be done at the age of 31. It's a cautionary tale. All right, we had a good conversation yesterday that led Mike Breen to text me (laughs) that he needed to get in on it. We will hear what he has to say as we continue in a moment. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio.
2: must be 21 plus and present in select states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply see app for details greenie the podcast next week with greenie yes sir you in yes. this is still the highest rated game in nba history the voices behind the biggest moments in sports there
1: it is a win for the ages
0: starts monday morning with greenie
1: looking forward to that next week we have a bunch of legendary announcers who'll be coming on the program broadcasters week we'll have Vern lundquist al michaels bob costas doc emmerich and jim nance will all appear live next week on this program Greeny coming to you live from the seaport district at Pier 17 brought to you by chase and joining me now is a man who very much fits into that company who is going to share his thoughts on the question of the day the voice of the NBA on ABC, ESPN, and the Madison Square Garden Network, the one and only Mike Breen, is with me on ESPN Radio. Hello, Mike Breen.
0: Do not put me in the company of those legends, please. I am but putting you very in. very kind
1: of you. You're officially in the company. You are, <laughs> and it's not me, but life has put you. You have put you in that company. That's, I had nothing to do with it.
0: Uh, you must have lost your objectivity years ago, but I, again, I, I, I so appreciate it. But I'm a little concerned with you right now.
1: Okay, let me tell me why
0: you and i agree on so many things Mm -hmm. in fact most of your takes i'm like i'm right with you but i'm driving in my car yesterday and and i i i couldn't believe what i was
1: hearing well let me set this up for those who weren't listening which i assume everybody was as you were and i appreciate you doing so but for those who didn't hear it yesterday's question of the day was very simply when you were watching games on television, any sport, watching sports on TV, I watch football, basketball, soon to be baseball, a little hockey, certainly tons of golf. When you're watching the sports on television, do you miss fans being in attendance? And I said I did not. That was what you are referring to.
0: Correct. I could not disagree more with you on this. <laughs> okay. And you know I love you. Yes, I, I, I could I appreciate not it. disagree more. Tell me why. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying you can't still enjoy it. Obviously, you can. And, you know, if you really w- want to watch a certain game, whether because it's, a, a, it's an unbelievable matchup or it's your favorite team that you have this passion about, it's not going to change um, the way you watch it. But for me, my enjoyment level of watching a game without fans is not nearly as high as if the crowd is there, and especially a raucous full crowd. For example, I give you a, a, for an analogy. Maybe this is a bad analogy. <clears throat> Uh, You have a favorite singer, a great singer, Mm -hmm. and they sing this beautiful song, one of your favorite songs, but they do it differently without music accompaniment. You still love the song. There's no question you love the song, but then put in, even if it's an acoustic version of your favorite song, you still love the song, but it's not the same. Now you put in the full band or the full orchestra, the accompaniment with it, and it's, it's something that stirs you. It's just, it's magnificent. You know, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I've heard him do an acoustic version of Thunder Road or growing up and the, the acoustic versions are, they're fantastic, but it's not like the version with the E street band playing behind them. It's, it's not even close. And that's what stirs you as a, as a fan of music, having that, that music accompaniment. And to me, and I think I said this to you the last time uh, we talked on the air, the fans are the oxygen of sports. It's a great phrase that I've heard, and it's so true. And you take away the fans, you take away that music accompaniment, it's still sports, it's still you know these great athletes going at it, but it's simply not as good. And I don't think it's even close.
1: Now, that's extremely well said. And once again, as always, you paint a magnificent verbal picture. But I'm going to give you two points of parliamentary procedure in order to dispute your take. <laughs> and let's see how we do. The fans at a sporting event are not the musical accompaniment of an artist. The musical accompaniment of an artist is intrinsic to the actual performance, meaning the music is an intrinsic part of the song. If you were going to listen to Bruce Springsteen and he's playing Born to Run, the guitar and the saxophone and the drums and everything are intrinsic To the performance, the analogy I would make is if you hear a live version of it, like if you hear if you get one of the Springsteen concert albums and you hear all the crowd yelling, screaming, and generally disrupting the genius of what is going on on the stage. To me, you could argue whether that makes it better or worse. There's something in the energy that might make it better, but there's also something in the perfection of what it was at its core that might be better. So that would be my first debate with you, Breen, is that I think that the the fan. Fans at a sporting event are much like the fans at a concert, much more than they are like the guitar and the drums.
0: <laughs> now, first off, you're getting cross with me.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, listen. listen, I got nothing better to do. I'm sitting here. We got right. 15 minutes to kill.
0: <laughs> but, but uh, I, I will say this: I, I didn't say it was a great analogy. I just said it was an analogy. Right. I do think the fans are are intrinsic to to for my enjoyment. Now, certainly, when you're there, mm-hmm. it's just so part of the experience. But I feel the same way that I, you know, there, there are certain sporting events where you're watching at home on television and you can feel the crowd jump through your television. You, you almost feel like they're, they're, they're there with you. Again, I'm not saying you're not going to enjoy the game without them, but I just, I think it's a, it's an element that is such a vital part of sports that, that builds the drama uh, that adds to the pressure of those performing to have a capacity crowd, whether or not you're, you're the home team and that crowd is lifting you up and inspiring you to do great things, or whether the crowd is so raucous and hostile it's making you wilt from the pressure and to see somebody overcome that type of pressure on the road. Just for example, last night, um, obviously there was only 2,000 fans, but Steph Curry was he hit like two or three big shots down the end of a game that the, the uh, Warriors beat the Knicks. He said, and most players will tell you this, that their their favorite thing to do as an athlete is to silence a raucous crowd. Now, it's, again, 2,000 fans, but he's done it many times with 20,000 fans. Mm-hmm. And I think it adds to the performance level of the athletes. Um, and when you're watching it, you can sense that. You can sense a guy going to the free throw line at the end of the game when the crowd is chanting chanting his name or, or you know, trying to... To disturb him, you can sense that. Look at his face; that he's scared, or he's nervous, or he's rattled. And at the same time, you can see how player reacts when the crowd is, you know, they rise as he's bringing the ball up the court on on what could be a potentially game-winning shot. I just think it, it it's such a part of how the athletes perform, and that adds to your enjoyment of watching them perform.
1: Well, I will say this. You and basically everyone else are on that side of that argument. I can't argue with you because almost everyone I know agrees with you. Every member of my staff agrees with you. Uh, I I could try and take apart pieces of your argument, but I enjoyed it so much I'm not going to bother doing it. (laughs) I will say this, however, to go back to your previous thought. I like it like when you go to a concert, like I'll use like the way you feel about Springsteen is the way I feel about Paul McCartney. I went to see McCartney at the Garden. And at one point, he takes out a ukulele, and he plays the song something, and it's just him and a ukulele. And without any musical accompaniment, without drums, bass, or anything else, just him and a tiny little scaled-down version of that was the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So sometimes when you strip something down to its essence, to its core, to its studs, it actually gets better. I'm using your Springsteen Thunder Road analogy. It actually gets better, not worse. This is unrelated parenthetically to the sports fans discussion. now we're just talking about something else entirely, but I wanted to address that thought. What do you think Mike bring?
0: Couldn't agree more. There are certain versions like that, certain acoustic versions or just, just without music that, that are just so special. And I'm, I agree with you on McCartney. Uh, I think I heard him do uh, Blackbird one time that yes. way. Um, and it was, it was magnificent. We may have been at the same so show. I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. And, and, um, and I, I have tremendous respect for you standing out on this island all by yourself while everybody's throwing these darts and arrows at mm-hmm.
1: you. I, look, look, Mike, I've said this many times. Mine is that rare genius that is not going to be fully appreciated until <laughs> long after my time. You'll all come around eventually. Breen is with me here on the Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven while I have you. Let me ask you a serious question, and, and, and again, I really appreciate you doing this. Again, Mike texted me yesterday to tell me how disgusted he was with this take, and I said, we got to get him on and have this conversation. All, all kidding Wait, aside, before you,
0: yeah. before you get into a sports thing, you, you mentioned McCartney. Um, yeah. Have, have you watched the, uh, the carpool karaoke uh, oh. with James Corden with yes. McCartney?
1: Epic. Absolutely epic. Okay. One of Just the greatest sure things I I've know. ever seen. It's like 30 minutes long, and, and they go back to to Liverpool, and it's, it's epic. Uh, yes, 100% epic. Um, Greeny and Breeny, uh, uh, or whatever. <laughs> uh, delighted to have you here. Okay, question. All kidding aside, when you're there, how different is it? How would you describe the difference in the arena? Because you're there for all these. You were there in the bubble. And now you're at all the doing all these games, you know, b- both for us at ABC, ESPN, and you're doing the Nick games and all the rest of that. Just how different is it in the arena itself without all the fans? Um,
0: just from last night, the first Garden crowd, and again, two thousand. Normally, it's it's over nineteen thousand. It, it, it was like a kid in a candy store. Just a little bit of sound. I was doing a game too um in LA this weekend and I'm doing my work in my hotel room and that Pelican Celtics game was on mm-hmm. and I have it on the sound on and all of a sudden I heard a chant and it was a one of those the anti-referee chants with a <laughs> little profanity in it mm-hmm. and it was so del- I, I like immediately noticed I immediately looked up and said that's not can that's not can that's real fans and when you're in the arena it's even more pronounced um, and again, it doesn't have to be the full crowd. It's just something. It's genuine, real reaction. It's genuine, real passion from people who so care about it like you and I do. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world. The bubble was, was a great experience, but it was, it was difficult uh, at times when you go in because two minutes before an NBA Finals game, it's like dead silent in the arena. It just doesn't seem right, and maybe it's because you know it's, it's our habit. It's what we're used to. Um, But I just I've missed it so much. And the way I call a game, I really use the crowd uh, to enhance my call of a game. I I think it so adds to the excitement um, when you just lay out and let the crowd take over after a big play. Um, So for me, it's it's so pronounced the difference. I, I can't wait till it fills up. But I'll take 2000 fans right now any day
1: of the week. Mike Breed is with me here on ESPN Radio. There will be some news later today. Who tweeted this? Uh, Howard Beck. Howard Beck tweeted that the the NBA is going to release it's scheduled for the second half of the season this afternoon. And I heard um, Brian Windhorst talking about this on his podcast, that the expectation is it's really going to be jammed. Like this, the scheduling is going to be really jam-packed and teams are going to have the five days and seven nights and all that kind of stuff. What are you hearing, Mike, and what are your expectations, again, under these unprecedented circumstances, for what the second half of the season might look like?
0: I've found this year to be the most difficult season to predict, on how teams are going to perform on a night-in, night-out basis, how teams are going to uh, be at the end of the season. Normally, you can kind of get a pretty good feel on a team early on the year. Okay, yeah, they are a contender. They got a chance to advance to the second, maybe even the conference finals. I, I have no idea on a lot of these teams. You know, we have our championship contenders, and there's probably be about five of them right now that you can think of a, of a, have a real shot. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even so sure on some of them because this is – this is unprecedented in, a, in the similar way that the bubble was from a standpoint of uh, the restrictions that, that these players are going on, on on the road and even now still at home. Um, the mental challenge is like nothing they've ever dealt with. And again, I, I'm not going to overdramatize what they're going through. We know they get paid a lot of money. We know they play on charter planes and stay in these plush hotels. But it, it is a difficult thing to be restricted to the way they are where they, when they go on the road, they can't go out of the hotels. They mm-hmm. can't even eat together. And it's, it's a real mental challenge, especially for those who have families, especially for those who either have close friends uh, and are unable to spend any time with them. It's, it makes it difficult to predict. And I think that's why we've seen such uneven performances, not just from teams, but from individual players as well.
1: Absolutely. So it'll be fascinating. And I'm told that actually the schedule will be released today 3 o'clock Eastern, live on the jump. Mm. So Rachel's show on ESPN live, 3 o'clock this afternoon Eastern time. You will see the release of the second half schedule, which will be fascinating. And again, expect now there to we'll, be a we'll lot Rachel of Will Rachel do
0: it in front of a live audience where we'll, have, you <laughs> no. know, we'll make it more exciting? <laughs> oh,
2: love this guy.
1: Very well played. Uh, there will actually be musical accompaniment behind her. Windhorst and Ramona will be sitting back there playing, <laughs> we'll playing the drums. Okay, one more quick question for you. So during the time between when he was the coach in Minnesota and when he got hired in New York, Tom Thibodeau came in here and did get up with me a whole bunch of times. And I spent a bunch of time around him. And here was my observation that that guy is as I'm not sure what the word is. He's as meticulous. He is as obsessed, obsessive. I'm not sure what the right word to describe it is. As anyone I've ever been around, and that's saying a lot considering all the coaches that we've been around, and I think we are seeing it. I mean, you're on the Knicks about as much as anybody is. That guy can just flat coach, yes? I mean, Tom, give credit to some of the players and Zach Randolph and all that, but the enormous improvement in the Knicks, I give a lot of the credit for it to the coach. What are you seeing?
0: He, he's the number one reason for the improvement, um, and his coaching staff, and he'll be the first to tell you, has been a part of that, but he, he leaves no stone unturned. So when the team takes the court night in and night out they are completely prepared for everything that the opponent's going to throw that doesn't mean they're going to win that doesn't mean they're going to play well but they're completely prepared and that that provides belief in a team thinking that they have a chance to win every night and that's the other thing even though the other team might have more talent he believes that preparation you know he keeps his his big phrase is the magic is in the work so he believes that that His team, he really believes, no matter who they're playing, and even if they're without a couple of key players, that if they play together and play unselfishly, they have a chance to win. And that gets down to the team. And that's why this team, they they really do feel like they have a chance to win every night.
1: Did I say Zach Randolph, by the way? I just said in my ear, obviously, I meant Julius Randle and and, and and no one, it's a great job by Breen of just going on as though what I said made perfect sense. That's a great job of, of just working with the host there, Mike, and not humiliating me live. I just completely botched the name of the guy that I'm talking about. And you just kept going without missing a beat. That's outstanding.
0: They're both lefties. They yeah. both can score and rebound. But so exactly. there are some similarities.
1: There you have it. See, that's what, because you work with Van Gundy all the time, and he's always saying one crazy thing after another, <laughs> and you're just accustomed to just moving on. What like What is that like? Seriously, Van Gundy will be in the middle of a game. It's my favorite thing to do, by the way. My favorite moment of all of your Sunday afternoon ABC, you know, primetime big deal games is when Van Gundy will just start going off on a tangent on something completely ludicrous and different, and half the time not even basketball basketball and you will just pause and then go on that's my favorite thing <laughs> what are those moments actually like
0: the the problem is you never know when it's coming and you have no idea what the topic is and <laughs> and when he when he prefaces it with can i say something <laughs> then mark mark and i look at each other like okay this could be a problem
1: <laughs> has the answer to that question ever been no like has he ever said to you can i say something and you said candidly jeff i prefer you didn't
0: would I deny the viewership that? No, I couldn't possibly say no.
1: All right, listen. He has I have,
0: carte blanche.
1: I have monopolized a lot more of your time than you probably expected. Thank you very much for this. It is always a pleasure to catch up with you. Enjoy uh, the rest of the season, and we will check in again soon. Mike Breen, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Great to talk to you again. He just sends me this text yesterday, like you're out of your mind. And I wanted to get him on. I have so much respect for the guy. If you listen to my podcast at all in the fall, I did a whole bunch of announcers and I had him on and we talked about his whole history and and, and all the rest of that. Um, And he doesn't even blink. I mean, I just called Julius Randall, Zach Randolph and no one said a word. You didn't (laughs) look at me. No one looks at me. I mean, how am I supposed to work like this? I'm working without a net here. I get the guy's name wrong. anyway, Three o'clock today, they will announce what the second half of the season is going to look like. This is something to be, I think, a little bit concerned about. I played you the soundbite yesterday. Brian Winhorst, actually, Bubba, if, if that's still handy someplace, let me know. You could hit it because I think it's worth hearing. Brian Winhorst on the Hoop Collective podcast had said that people are bracing themselves. That's the word he used for what that schedule is going to look like. You have it. Let me play that for you. Here's Wendy, Brian Winhorst, from his podcast the other day. In talking to some teams, they are bracing themselves for the worst schedule they've ever seen. All kinds of five games and seven nights, all kinds of strange road trips. You're playing east and west in the same road trip. When that schedule comes out, wait do you hear the griping. I think there's going to be a lot of games, and, and this is going to go for every team. We're just going to have to rest guys. Like, it's not even going to be guys who have injuries. You're just going to have to you're just gonna look at them and go, we've just played our second five and seven game stretch in this month, and we got to set this guy down here and there. So that was Wendy again from the Hoop Collective podcast. And that is the situation that we we will start hearing about it this afternoon. And look, I get it. I, I have talked so much on the air. And frankly, a lot of it was because for months there were no sports going on. And I was hosting a sports television show about the impact that the coronavirus has had on sports. And I think we've gotten so delightfully spoiled by it all coming back and coming back as successfully as it has. I mean, it's been great. All things considered, we got pretty representative, fun little baseball season last year that gave us a World Series champ, and it felt legit with the Dodgers Mm. winning. We got that good basketball in the bubble, and it felt legit with LeBron winning, and we got Alabama winning the championship, and Tom Brady win the championship, and the NFL played 256 games, and now here they are. Sometimes you forget – Like, we're still trying to put this stuff together in the middle of a pandemic. It's not over. So whatever it is they have to do for the second half of the season, I get they want to get it in, and they want to get it in in time to try and get their schedule back where it is meant to be. You don't want this season to go into August because then, you know, now it's impacting another year. So that's what we're going to wind up with. And if they're not going to have fewer games, which I understand – they want to play all the games. You're going to get a lot of that stuff, the stuff that Wendy is talking about, and that's going to mean a lot more players sitting. And that's frustrating from a, stand, a fan standpoint, but I think we just have to be prepared for it. I think we just have to live with it. And during this circumstance, as I've said a million times, there are always more questions than there are answers during a pandemic. That goes well beyond the context of sports. So we'll start getting some of those answers today. I'm Green Eat. My thanks again to Mike Breen for being on the Goodyear Hotline. We are presented here, as always, by Progressive Insurance. And again, you can stay with ESPN Radio and ESPN TV all day for any further developments. As far as the Tiger Woods situation is concerned, we send him and his family our very best. And I will see you back in better than ever tomorrow on ESPN Radio.
0: Greenie, the podcast.